series entitled GPS, Navigating the Bible, the Bible that contains the Old and the New Testament, the Gospel, which means the good news. And it's a privilege to be with you at the Compass Church. It's always great to be here in Chicago, especially this time of year, and uh, to come and to serve in a great place. And here's something that you can know from me as a guest who comes in a couple times a year to be with you, uh, knowing this about your leaders. Your leaders, namely Pastor Dale, the elders, the staff, all the leaders here love God, and they love you. And, uh, you know, sometimes... uh, when you hear the same person or you see the same people who are leading you, you can sometimes maybe take them for granted. I just want to say a word, and plus, trust me, uh, Pastor Dale didn't tell me to say this. I want to say this from my heart, that um, the leadership team, the staff here, is a great group of people that love you, that love God, and uh, they're, they're awesome. And so it's a privilege to come and serve with you and to serve them, and so thanks for having me back. We're going to talk this weekend about uh, navigating the Scriptures, and specifically, how do we know that the Scriptures are the Word of God. How do we know that the Scriptures are the inspired words of God? We we talk about them all the time. We use them at weddings, at funerals, at baby dedications, at baptisms, at special times of the year, on the weekends for sermons, during our quiet times, all over the place. But how do we know that they're the words of God? That's what we're going to talk about this weekend. It's a pretty important question, don't you think? Let's pray together. God, would you come now and be our honored guest? Inhabit the praises and the preaching of your word, the worship that will take place tonight, God. We pray that you would be pleased in that and honored and glorified. Would you open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you, to wrestle with and to talk openly about a very, very important question. May the words of my mouth now and the meditations of my heart Be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. C.S. Lewis said that there are two questions that every single person asks. And they're the most basic, primal questions that you could ever think of, long for, or ask. From the cradle to the grave, two questions every person asks. You ready? The first question is, does God exist? Something inside of our hearts and our souls longs to answer the question, is there something greater than me in this life? Does God exist? And answering that question takes us down a lot of different paths, doesn't it? A lot of different shapes and sizes and different things that happen in our life to come to a conclusion about the all-important question, does God exist? exist. The second question, if God exists, can he be trusted? The second question is, can God be trusted with every single thing in my life? Now, you may ask these two questions in different ways, and again, in different sizes and different shapes throughout the different seasons of your life, whether consciously or subconsciously, Every single one of us is asking those two questions. Does God exist? Can he be trusted with my life? Now, in a a world, and I think you would agree with me with this, in a world where it's difficult to know what we can count on, right? It's difficult to know what will be there tomorrow. 
it's difficult to know what we can rely on and what we can put our trust in. The scriptures are on their tiptoes screaming out to us, yes, God exists, and yes, he will be faithful. He can be trusted with our lives. In fact, the passage that I want to draw your attention to this weekend at the Compass is from 2 Peter, the first chapter, verses 19 through 21. This is the word of God to you, beloved. Peter said, and we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Now listen to this, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What Peter is saying here in this passage is that the Scriptures are the God-breathed words to each one of us. They are the inspired words of God. He says in verse, verse 16, if you go back and look at this chapter, 2 Peter 1, he says, hey, we didn't come up with this. This isn't something that we're building on some... Uh, thing that we read in some faraway land or something that we came up with or some myth, we're not basing it on that. We saw for ourselves. When Jesus was baptized, we heard the voice from heaven speak into his life. We saw the miracles and the signs and the wonders. We witnessed this. And what we're telling you is what we saw. But moreover, verse 19, if you don't believe that, believe this. That the words that are written down in the scriptures are not from any man. They were written by man as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were inspired by God. God's words to us. The definition of inspiration of scripture means this. That in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, all the words, the 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, are God's words written by man. Now, here's, here's what we mean when we talk about the authority of Scripture. And you hear that phrase a lot, whether you're in the church or outside the church, we talk about the authority of the Scriptures in the world and in people's life. What do we mean by that? We mean, you, know, you know where the word authority comes from? The word authority comes from the word author. And so when we talk about the authority of the Scriptures, the inspiration of the Scriptures, we're talking about the person that wrote the Scriptures. The authority of the Scriptures lies directly with the authorship of the Scriptures. And it's my premise to you this weekend as we answer this question, how do we know that the Scriptures are the inspired Word of God? That belief in the Scriptures and their inspiration is belief in the author of the Scriptures. You can't separate the two. The one who wrote the Scriptures, the one who carried along these men of God, who carried out these words, these were inspired by God. Now, if I've lost you, come back to me for this, okay? Tim Keller, who's a pastor in Manhattan, says this, and I think it's so true. Keller says, you know, it's, it's very much in vogue in our culture, whether you live in the South or the Midwest or the West or wherever, it's very much in culture, in, in vogue in our culture to say, I'm on a search for God. I'm searching for God. I'm looking for him. Or maybe you've heard, heard or maybe you've said it this way. I know I have. I'm trying to find myself. 
I'm just trying to find myself. I'm an old youth pastor, so I used to have students come in all the time. Hey, I'm trying to find myself. And I, would all, I, I started to say, well, you're not going to find yourself out there. You're right here in the chair in front of me. I'm trying to find myself. I'm on a journey. I'm trying to understand God. I'm on a search. All these different things. It's very, very popular and in vogue to say that, right? It's not very popular to say this. I found God. Interesting, isn't it? Very much accepted to say, I'm on a journey. I'm trying to understand God. I'm, I'm just on a search. I'm on a quest. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's very different to say, hey, I found God. I found God. I was on a journey. I, wa- I once was lost. I was trying to find my way. I was going down all kinds of different paths. But, but now I found God. Now that's saying something very different, isn't it? And, and here's what the church is all built on. The church is all built on the gospel truth of understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's all about what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. Nobody comes to the Father except through who? Through Jesus. That's a very narrow statement, isn't it? I know Josh McDowell was here a couple weeks ago and talked about inclusivism and tolerance and all that kind of it, it's, it's very much it's easy to say, I'm, I'm on a journey, I'm on a quest. It's a very narrow statement to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. The face and the picture of Jesus and the understanding of Jesus changes when he says these words. It's a very exclusive statement. And what Keller says is, that's what God is calling us to when it comes to truth and understanding the inspiration of the scriptures and the story of God is a very narrow truth. And here's what he says. As the, as the truth is narrow, narrow in the sense that it's Jesus that we come th- through. It's the, his name that we call on, no one else's. As the truth is narrow, our freedom becomes wide. It's actually this, that the narrower the gate is, the, the, the bigger the field is on the other side. My freedom in Christ. But watch this. When, when every gate and every path is there, when the gate is huge, so it's anything and everything. It's whatever I feel today. Some days it's the Bible, some days it's this, some days it's that. I go into a very narrow space. That broad gate leads to a very, very, very narrow field. You think about it that way? Jesus' claims are extremely exclusive. But here's the thing. Narrow is the gate and broad is the way to destruction. The gate to life, Jesus says, is very, very narrow. But it leads to life. It leads to expanse. It leads to freedom. And it's the scriptures, God's word, that guides us in that. How do we stand on the word of God, the authority of God, the inspiration of God? How can we stand on that and know that? That this is indeed the inspired words of God himself to us. Think about that. The scriptures that many of you are holding in your hands right now. God's words to you. It changes things, doesn't it? I want to give you a couple of reasons and understandings about how we can say with confidence That this is the word of God. The inspired words to us, his people. If you have a a pen or a pencil or lipstick or lip gloss or eyeliner or crayons or whatever it is, I want to invite you maybe to take just a couple of notes this weekend as we talk about how do we know 
that the Bible is the inspired word of God. The first thing I would say is in its production. In its production. You know, when you, see, when you hear somebody say, you need to go see this movie, what do you do? You go buy a ticket and you go see it. Uh, if, you say, if you hear someone say, I, I, a lot of people, I, you, you should go read this book. It's probably when you walk into a, a store or when you go on your Kindle, it's probably right there because it's one of the best sellers. If someone says, you need to go see, you know, Revenge Attack of the Squirrels Part 4, and you go to your red box and you can't find it, it's probably, why, why is that? Because it really wasn't produced that much. One of the reasons why we believe that this is the inspired word of God, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that we believe it is in its production itself. This is incredible. Think about how many books have been produced, um, maybe a million copies. It's something to have a million copies, right? Not many books, I can tell you, have a million copies printed. What about 10 million copies? To have your book produced and copied 10 million times is an amazing feat. The Bible has been produced billions upon billions of times. More copies than any book in history. 120 million copies of the scriptures, God's word, are produced every single year. 120 million. Most books, watch this, most books are translated into one language. Maybe two or three, if it's a really great book. The Bible has been translated into over 2,200 languages and counting. Over 90% of the of the languages represented in the world are represented in the written copies of the scriptures. We still have work to do, the other 10%. But over 2,200 languages the Bible has been produced in. The Bible in your hands today is a miracle. You know, studies say that the average American family, this is crazy, the average American family has nine Bibles in their household. Nine Bibles. So our issue when it comes to obedience and following the Word of God isn't a copy issue or production issue. But it's one of the reasons why we believe that this is God's Word, is in the miracle of the production and the scope and the breadth of which you can find the Bible, the languages, the copies all over the world. Secondly, how do we know the Bible is the inspired Word of God? A couple of evidences. And it's preservation. This is so important to understand. The Bible has survived. The Bible that you're holding today, the Bible has survived so much over the course of time. Persecution, criticism, attacks of every single kind because of its claims. Its survival through the ages proves the hand of the divine. Only a God-inspired book could overcome the attacks and the criticisms that has been put against the Bible over the centuries. In fact, H.L. Hastings, I love this. H.L. Hastings writes, Infidels for 1,800 years have been refuting and overthrow, trying to overthrow this book. And yet it stands today solid as a rock. Its circulation increases. And it is more loved and cherished today than ever before. People with all their assaults make about as much impression on this book as a man with a tack hammer would on the pyramids of Egypt. 
when the French monarch proposed the persecution of the Christians in his dominion, an old statesman and warrior said to him, Sire, the church of God is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. So the hammers of its attackers have been pecking away at this book for ages, but the hammers are all worn out and the anvil still endures. If this book has not been and is not the book of God, men would have destroyed it centuries ago. Emperors, popes, kings, priests, princes, rulers have all tried their hand at it. They die and the word of God lives. The prophet Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Not only has the word of God survived, it's thrived, hasn't it? One of the reasons why we believe that it is indeed the inspired scriptures is because of its survival throughout all the ages. Thirdly, one of the reasons why we believe that this is the inspired word of God is in its proclamations and its prophecy. Now in two weeks we're going to talk further in this series about the specific prophecies in the scriptures and and how we navigate our way through that. But I just want to say very quickly that one of the evidences of the inspiration of the words of God in this book is just in the prophecies that it gives in and of itself. Just look at the the example of the life of Christ. Just in this book, his time of birth, the nature of his birth, the city in which he was born and were all prophesied. Daniel 9, Isaiah 7, Micah 5. All of these places where these specific events occurred. Hundreds of prophecies in the scriptures. Again, we'll get into this in a couple weeks. But hundreds of them fulfilled and some of them yet to be fulfilled. But it's one of the reasons why we believe this is the inspired word of God. is in the specific claims and prophecies that it makes and that have been fulfilled. Moreover, in its proclamations, content is king in the scriptures. And the content that the scriptures give is unbelievable. Think about this. In its proclamations, the Bible deals very, very frankly with the sins of its main characters. The Bible is a soap opera. Because the lives of the people that are represented in the Bible are soap operas. Think about this. Moses, David, Paul, murderers. And the Bible talks about it. Now, if you were creating a book and you wanted somebody to believe in what you wanted them to believe in, Would you add all these things that were horrific things about your main characters? Because the point of the book isn't the characters. The point of the book is the God of the characters. But the Bible is very, very, very clear about all of their flaws, all of their defects. Because guess what? It's speaking about reality because that's life, isn't it? Whose life in here isn't a soap opera? I don't see any hands. We all have our stuff. And guess what? The people of the scriptures had their stuff. And the Bible is very honest and open about its proclamations and its words about these people. The Bible is not based on the imaginations of people. It's based on the inspiration of our God. Lastly, how do we know that this is the inspired word of God? The greatest evidence that I could talk about with you is the product of the Bible. The proof is in the pudding. 
It's what the Bible produces. The righteousness of Christ in every single one of us. We are living, breathing examples of the power of the Word of God. The Scriptures overseeing our lives. You know, the Scriptures aren't meant to be put under us, equal to us. They're meant to be put over us. The authoritative Word of God. And remember, where does the authority come from? Where's the Word come from? From its author. And what this Word produces in every single one of our lives. I'm sure if I could just give a couple of moments for each one of you to come up and share a story or something that's happened in your life, many of you would share about a time or a place when you were in a dark place, a narrow place. And this word has spoken clearly to your heart in a way that no one or nothing else could. The Bible produces God's life inside of every single one of us. It's the nudge of the Holy Spirit, right, when we read a passage. How many of you have read the Bible? You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you have read the Bible, especially in a dark and narrow place in your life, and you've thought, that word was just for me? I I, I don't know how it did it, but it spoke directly to my life, directly to this situation, directly to this feeling that I've been having, directly to this need, directly to this question in my life. It spoke directly to it. The writer of Hebrews said it this way when he talked about the scriptures. He said, the word of God is active and living. It's alive. It's not a dead, old, dusty book. It's living and it's active and it's sharp. It cuts right to the very heart of who we are. Speaking to the the greatest questions and longings and needs of our life. God's word produces his life in us, and it also produces our life and witness before other people. There's this great passage in Romans, the 10th chapter, where Paul simply says, how are people going to come to believe in God unless they've heard? And how can they hear unless somebody goes? And what is the, the word that people are giving? What do we stand on in our life and our witness with other people, our neighbors, our friends, who, by the way, have the same two questions that you have wrestled with in your life? Is there a God? Can he be trusted? What do we stand on as our witness, our life to other people? I had the chance to play golf today with some of your fellow church members. They're very good. Um, but I, I wouldn't, if, if one of them said, hey, Chris, I want, I want you to do this with your grip and kind of turn it this way and whatever, they were good, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily base my golf life on these three gentlemen. No offense, because I think some of them are in here. But if one of them said, hey, I see you doing something, and I was with, who's our favorite golfer in here for Saturday night? You can say it, scream it out. Are we Phil fans in here? This is a Phil crowd. Hey, I was playing golf with Phil Nicholson last week, and he showed me this thing with a grip, and you should do this, because I was doing the same thing, and it fixed me. Now that's something different. Why? Because of who said it. It's one thing for you to go to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your friend, to your daughter, to your aunt, to your uncle, to your granny, whoever, and give your hot sports opinion about life, and we all have them. It's another thing to point people to the scriptures and the God of the scriptures. And you open up God's word, what we believe to be inspired by God, and you speak directly to 
what's going on in their life. And here's what you do. You hide yourself behind the word of God. God uses your voice, your life, your personality, but just like the writers of the scripture, you are carried along. Like 2 Peter 1 says, you're carried along by the Holy Spirit. As you witness and you live your life in front of other people to answer their biggest questions. How do we know that the Bible is the inspired word of God? We believe that the Old Testament and the New Testaments are God's very message to us. And the product and the preservation and the proclamations and prophecy and what it produces in every single one of our lives. We believe that this is the inspired word of God. This is the scriptures. And here's the deal. Every single one of us is called out in our spirit to believe in something bigger than ourselves. Like C.S. Lewis said, these two big, big questions are constantly thumping on our hearts. Is there a God? Can he be trusted? What am I going to base my life in? What will I believe in? Who can I trust? And the scriptures are screaming out about this. Alfred Hitchcock, back in 1964, uh, you know, was a producer. Many, how, how many of you remember Alfred Hitchcock? Okay, great. Make sure. 1964, one of the episodes that aired was called The Final Escape. Some of you may remember this. It was about a guy named John who had robbed a bank. And he was sentenced to 15 years of hard labor in a prison camp. He meets a gentleman in prison named Doc. And Doc is in charge of, not a great job, but Doc is in charge of burying all the people that die in prison. So Doc's granddaughter gets sick, and he knows that John has a lot of money. And he says, uh, I'm going to make a deal with you, John. John, I'm going to help you get out of prison and not have to serve 15 years. But here's what you're going to do. You're going to finance a surgery, an operation for my granddaughter so that she can be well. And John takes him up on it. And so here's the plan. Doc says, every time somebody dies in this prison, we ring a bell. When you hear that bell ring, wait for it to get dark and slip out and come down into the infirmary and get into the coffin with the body. I know. Um, Get into the coffin and close the coffin. The next day, I'm burying the body. Remember, Doc's in charge of it. I'm burying the body. We'll bury the coffin, and then after everybody leaves, I'll come back, and I'll dig you up, and you'll be free. Great plan. So a couple weeks go by. Nobody dies in the prison. One night, John is sitting in his cell, and the bell rings. He slips out and gets down to the infirmary and gets into the coffin with this dead body. And it makes my hair stand up just thinking about it. All right, for all you claustrophobic people, you're like, so he gets in and he closes it, right? So there he is inside the coffin with this dead body, this guy who's died in the prison. But it's all to get free, right? And so it's worth it. So he's in the coffin and he's there and he spends the night in this coffin. The next day, just like they planned, they come and they take him out and they're burying him and he can feel, he can hear and feel the dirt Think about it, piling onto the coffin as he's buried. And after a while, he doesn't hear anything. They've left. And there he is in the coffin with his dead body. And he waits. And he waits. 
and he waits. And finally, like you may all feel right now, he starts to panic. Uh, Did Doc break my deal? When's he coming back? Did something happen? And he waits a little bit longer, and then he can't stand it anymore, and he takes a lighter out of his pocket and lights it in the coffin. And guess who's in there with him? Doc had a heart attack the day before and is in the coffin with him. Here's my, here's my question for you as we, as we finish up. In a world where it's difficult to know what we can count on and who we can trust, who are you trusting to save you from the grave? We all wrestle with those questions, right? Is there a God? Can he be trusted? Will he save my life? We all put our belief in someone or something. Who are you trusting to save you from the grave? The scriptures are on their tiptoes. Saying, yes, God exists. And yes, he is faithful. He can be trusted to save my life and to guide my steps. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the miraculous gift of your word. A lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Tonight, as we pray, I would be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to trust Christ to save you from the grave. For those of you who are wrestling with those two questions, and we all do, beloved, and you've yet to find an answer, I want to share with you tonight what the scriptures say. If we confess our mouths with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. If that's you tonight, you'd say, you know what? I need to settle that question because I've been wrestling with that for a long time. And I've heard what the scriptures have said, but I've not really known what to believe or what to understand. I've not really even understood if the scriptures are true. But tonight, I, I, I get that. I understand that. I get that it's God's words to me speaking to the very deepest needs and questions of my life. If that's you tonight. We're praying. There's nobody looking around. This isn't about your neighbor. This isn't about who brought you here. This is about you and God. If that's you tonight, you say, I need to trust Christ, the God of the Scriptures, to save me. If that's you, would you just look up at me so I can pray for you? God bless you guys. Just look up at me. If that's you, you say, you know what? Tonight I need to trust Christ to save me from the grave because I've been trusting a lot of stuff and I'm not quite sure. But I know that I know that I know that God wants to save me and I need to trust in him. If that's you, would you look up at me? bless you guys all over the place God bless you would you pray this prayer with me 
It's a simple prayer from the scriptures, God's word. God, I'm confessing myself tonight and be in, in need of a savior. I'm running away from myself and all the places that I've taken myself by my own choices and I'm, I'm running to you. Would you come into my life and my heart? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? I'm believing this and trusting this. A simple childlike faith. Now give me the courage and the strength to live my life for you. In Jesus' name. And for the rest of us here who have made a profession or are still searching and struggling to understand that, may God's grace be sufficient for us. May his word continue to guide us.